Hello everybody and welcome back to All Opinions No F***s. This is Preston doing a solo episode. Well, kind of solo. I got my buddy Tyler on again, but there's no Brennan today. Say hey, Tyler. Hello. All right. So uh, this is a, has been a weird month. There's been a lot going on in my life. Uh, I'm actually in Utah right now. I'm at Tyler's house. So if you want to know where Tyler lives, track down the geotag in this file and then you'll know. And add like two or three miles south. Yeah, right. You know, it's uh, all about that uh, triangulation error, I guess. Anyway, anyway. Uh, so what you been up to, Tyler? Oh, not a whole lot. I've been listening to, uh, to some All Opinions, No Facts. Been a good time. Just like, listening to Paul, that was a lot of fun. That brought back a lot of memories. <laughs> right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so for those of you that, I, I've mentioned this a couple of times, but Tyler, Paul, and I were in the same group of guys um, in high school, best friends, five of us. Uh, Tyler and Paul are really the only two I still am in contact with. But yeah, we had a lot of really good times. What was, let's see. Oh, shit, totally lost my train of thought. So uh, full disclosure, I'm a little bit drunk right now because I haven't seen Tyler in a while and we're totally hanging out and it's fucking awesome. Yeah. Oh man, it's been so much fun. I've been feeding him alcohol. Pretty much trying to get into his pants yeah, the whole time. Yeah, totally. And uh, P.S. it's working. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's been so much fun to reminisce and just, just hang out and talk and I don't know. I don't know. It's just been awesome. Yeah. So anyway, when we had talked about doing an episode over here, you had some good ideas about fractals. Uh, yeah, so... And I don't know if I jumped into that too fast. <laughs> oh, no, not at all. Um, I've been going all over the place lately, but uh, one of the topics I've been interested in lately is fractals. So I don't know if... Uh, I, I didn't really know much about fractals other than apparently they're everywhere in nature, but that was about all I knew. So fractals is actually a made-up word made up by Benoit Mandelbrot. I think all words are made up, but... <laughs> All right. Thank you, Cheryl from uh, Archer. Anyway, uh, yes, it was a, a more recently made up word. Uh, it is fractions of dimensions. That's what fractals came from. So I, I've, I was curious what they were, and I heard about chaos theory, and fractals and chaos theory are completely uh, interrelated. And so I was trying to figure out both of them at the same time. I've kind of gotten a, like a high-level overview of both. And so I now feel like I have enough info to talk about them without, with only sounding like kind of an idiot instead of a total idiot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I got it Awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, I didn't know much about fractals uh, before you had come to me with the idea for talking about them. And so I basically fell down probably the rabbit hole that you set me down upon. And, and I'd never gotten to anything about how chaos theory and, and fractals are i mean i i can get i can see how they would be combined but what what do you have insight wise on how are they entwined uh, inherently i guess okay so the thing about fractals is um like i said it's fractions of dimensions but the there's a couple different definitions from fractals that i've come across and they they're related but i'm not sure i think there might be like camps two different camps that view them differently i'm not sure though uh, but fractal fractions of dimensions, as in non-integer dimensions, we all know about one dimension, which is like a, peri a dot or a point. Two dimensions is a line. Three dimensions, or I'm sorry, no, two dimensions is a plane. One dimension is a line, I guess. So one dimension is a line. Two dimensions a plane, as in x and y. Three dimensions x y z. It's like a, 
at a three-dimensional volume. So fractals are a way to measure fractional dimensions, as in 2.1 dimensions, 2.5 dimensions. Um, but there's also another way of looking at fractals as fractals are self-similar self -similar repeating patterns that are the same across all scales. So what I mean by that is uh, take a look at a tree. The tree trunk starts, it's the widest part of the tree trunk. It splits into, it's about half of the width for each of the splits. And then after a certain length, then those two splits also split into two more, which are about half the length. Or I'm sorry, half the diameter, I should say. Um, and then after a certain distance, those new splits also split into about half the diameter and so on and so on. And eventually you get a tree. So that's an example of a fractal. Um, it's basically like you zoom in from, from the furthest out to the closest in, it looks the same. Um, so some of the most well-known fractals are like the Mandelbrot set or the Koch snowflake. And those are where you, they're, they're mathematical sets where you zoom in on the image and it just keeps going in forever and it looks the same no matter how far you zoom in. So I watched a little bit on this and I actually had a question and I don't know if you know the answer. Um, there's, I'm going to sound so stupid on this. There's a way of uh, making uh, art and stuff on, on computers called vectors where you instead of drawing an image you create a vector for it and therefore so no matter how far you zoom in or how far you zoom out it's always um the perfect resolution like it's always the same resolution right because because the normal pixel picture i'm put, doing air quotes around pixel um you zoom in and it gets pixelated as yeah. in the pixels grow larger and it looks blurrier mm -hmm. so yeah i totally get what you're going with this um yeah i think it's I don't know if it's mathematically related, but it's very much the same concept where you zoom in, you zoom out on, and he's talking about things like Adobe Illustrator uses vector mm -hmm. where you draw a picture and it kind of like records the relationship rather than the pixels. And so no matter how much you shrink or grow the image, the resolution doesn't change. And I, I, I actually don't know about that, but I imagine it's the same concept. Okay. So uh, with the with the stuff that I watch, they use a lot of uh, planes and graphs, and they talk a lot about just to I think more to make it simple for people like me to understand it. Uh, that the amount of boxes or squares, depending on the dimension that you're trying to observe, right? Um, how if they have the same amount of, um, I'll just say squares for I, that's a two one. Is that one dimensional or two dimensional? I a think square. Square is two dimensional. Well, okay. So, so they have a certain amount of squares, and it's always no matter how much you zoom in and zoom out. Well, the average they, they talked about how there's some difference to it, but the the a average it was about the same uh, ratio, was it? Are you talking about ah man? I'm trying to think. So the example that I so, first that first made sense to me was the Coke. It's called the Coke Snowflake. Um, and it's not really a square, but what it is, is you basically take a circle inside that circle. You draw a triangle, um, the triangle fits inside the circle. And then for each side of the triangle, you split it into thirds, the middle third, you draw an additional triangle. So all these triangles are equilateral, meaning all the sides are the same. So you take that initial triangle that fits inside the circle. And then for each side, you take, you'd split it into three, the middle third of each side you draw another equilateral triangle. Okay. Um, but of course you don't, you um, then do that for each of the three sides of, of the resulting shape. 
So now rather than three sides on the triangle, it's actually a star shape and it has nine sides. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And then so in the center of each of those nine sides, the center third, you do the same thing. You draw another triangle and you just keep doing that is it ad infinitum. I think that's the term. You keep doing that forever. And what happens is you have a finite area because it still fits inside that initial circle. Mm-hmm. It's a finite area with an infinite length, which is fucking mind-blowing. And this is where the fractional dimensions come in because it is not two dimensions. It's like one, I don't know exactly. It's like one Mm -hmm. point something dimensions. Okay. And it's kind of tricky. You really have to listen to some people explain it better than I am. But I thought that was fascinating. It blew my mind. Just the fact that you can have an infinite length line inside a finite area. That's fucking awesome. And that is actually how nature does it. And so talking, going back to the tree branches example, the idea that in the book I was reading, the example was for every five lengths of the diameter. So take the diameter of the cylinder. Every time you lengthen that cylinder by five times the diameter, you split. Mm-hmm. And then that split is then two, si- um, two splits. So one that's half the diameter and another side that's half the diameter. So okay. every five lengths of the diameter, you split into half the diameter do the same thing again. So every five lengths of that new smaller diameter split again and do that until I guess in nature, until your microscopic size. Um, Although I guess trees don't go quite that to quite that extreme, but that is actually how your blood vessels work. So your blood vessels do that. Your, your, um, is it break? No, what is it inside your lungs? I want to say trachea, but that's not right. The, um, your lungs do yeah, that the same thing. Bronchial tubes, right? So is it yeah, bronchial? it's bronchial tubes. Maybe it's bronchial. Something like that. But the things in your lungs—that's how they do. They they do that same thing. They split. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, your your blood vessels use a rule like this, and they are within five cells of every cell in your body. So blood vessels are within five cells of every cell in your body, using hmm. this rule, but they only take up five percent of the volume of your body. So if you really think about that, that's fucking crazy. And that's the kind of shit that nature pulls all the time. And that is fractals. It's like a way of using, but it's a way of using extremely efficient methods, simple rules to cover like as much surface area or as much volume as possible. Okay. Okay. All right. But your question was, how does chaos theory relate to fractals? Yeah. I'm going to have to think about that for a second because I read a bunch on fractals and watched videos on fractals. And then I started reading a book about chaos theory and the dude started talking about Mandelbrot, who was the, I don't know if you call him the father of, but the dude who invented the term fractals. And I'm trying to think of how it does relate into chaos theory. So chaos theory is the idea that extremely simple rules repeated over and over again or, or extrapolated over and over again, I suppose can create chaos or sorry, can create incredibly complex results where the idea before chaos theory was that simple rules created simple results. And that if there was any kind of complex results, it was because of noise or because of, yeah, I guess noise that you don't really want to account for in your formulas. 
Like so, when you're in high school physics and they just pretend like air resistance doesn't exist. Exactly. That's exactly right. Because actually in this book I'm reading about chaos, one of the big factors is air resistance, which makes your linear functions, quote unquote, linear functions way more complicated and way harder to solve. But science ignores them. Um, just like in quantum physics, for example, all the quantum physics works because you're using like one or two atoms or one or two like particles but that's not really how it works in reality that's just that's reductionism in action and i i mentioned i tried to mention reductionism in a previous episode but i couldn't remember the term i was sleep deprived i was a little bit drunk probably but yeah scientific reductionism is the idea that you can basically drill down to the simplest most basic possible unit and then use that unit to extrapolate back into the complexity of life and that's just not how life works that's not that's not how it works that's what chaos theory is trying to solve um and so fractals and chaos theory the idea is you can um you can start with sorry sorry if i'm repeating myself but you basically can start with a simple rule extrapolate it infinitely and you get crazy complex um crazy complexity but you actually get complexity that seems chaos chaotic but there's also patterns within that chaos and then when you zoom into the chaos when you zoom into the patterns within that chaos there's more chaos but then when you zoom in further there's patterns and then so that i think that's where the idea of chaos and fractals merge is that when you zoom into chaos you see pattern and then you zoom further in you say chaos again and then you zoom further in you see patterns again so it's the idea that nature uses simple rules, creates complexity, but within that complexity, there's orderedness. Now, I wonder if I'm kind of, if I'm thinking of it wrong, I don't know enough uh, digits of pi, but it kind of seems like pi would be the same thing where you could take a certain subset of pi and say, oh, look, it's just repeating these, this pattern of numbers, but then you zoom out and, and it's not like the, hmm. those numbers just happen to be in that pattern. They, they weren't. A pattern at all they they just happen to be in that small spot and or and then you know you zoom out more and there, there's even less of it or now that's part of a larger pattern but it's not actually a pattern at all it's all random well, to us random i guess right what you would call um uh, what's the word i forget the word but yeah um i kind of i'm not sure if pi fits into that but yeah that's the similar idea the idea being that um well, let's see uh what is that there's what are the numbers called what is it where you divide um like yeah like what is pi considered there's irrational like pi, irrational thank you that's the word i was looking for yeah so pi is an irrational number i don't know if it applies to rational numbers but it applies to things like um so one example they use is the big red spot on jupiter so the question is, among all the crazy turbulence and all the chaoticness or all the chaos on Jupiter, how is it that there's this one consistent big red storm that stays the same no matter, I mean, it's been decades or I don't know how long, they, how long ago they noticed it for the first time, but it's been at least decades. All right, well, I want to take that a little step further. Sure. In all this chaos of the universe, how come there's been an Earth here for 4.2, 4.3 billion years? Right. I mean, the Earth is just as much an anomaly in space as the big red spot is on Jupiter. Yeah, that's true. Because I think that they've uh, they've realized that 
the length of time that our planet has been in the Goldilocks zone is pretty abnormal. The question there is, I don't know, like how long does it actually take to evolve sentient life? I don't know. I imagine it's probably similar to ours, but maybe it's shorter, maybe it's longer. Okay, now I've got a question for you. Okay. Okay, so now we're delving into something totally different. Okay. Well, kind of. Kind of. Um, do you think we're the first sentient life to evolve on Earth? On Earth? Yeah. Ooh. Because, I mean, you look at, we're billions of years into this. Humans have been around for-ish 400,000 years. Modern humans for- w- Really? 400,000? Yeah, for like the very- The earliest. The very earliest, earliest things, yeah. Okay. That, and that that number I've heard move, but three hundred to four hundred thousand years is what I've heard. Okay, no, um, just the reason yeah. I ask is I, the earliest I've heard is like one to two hundred thousand, but yeah, sure, yeah. three to four hundred. Sure. Um, but then we really haven't even been able to look, t- well, to look at the stars and record that we've looked at the stars, for example, or or to look at even the Earth, and record that we've looked at the Earth. That's only happened in the last. 5,000 years, yeah, you know, 10,000 years. I, I think the oldest cave painting that they just found so far was, uh, and I think it was a cave painting, it was 40,000 years old. Damn. So we're looking at 4.8 billion years. Of the stars or just a cave painting? No, just a cave painting. Okay. So just our ability to write down that we've done something. So our history of of that only goes to that point. Right. Um, and I mean, you know, we have fossils, and I'm not trying to, to argue with the fossil record. I totally believe is the is the wrong word because it's not a faith-based belief but i understand the fossil record and and how that works and that it's not fake and that um but other than the fact that we haven't found fossil evidence or or archaeological evidence i guess of of an existence of a of a sentient race before us right would does i mean we've been around for such a, a a fraction of even not even talking the cosmological scale but just earth scale was there somebody else before us Hmm. I don't know about that. That would be really hard to know because like, no, no, what do you think? The first thing that I think is if we were to fast forward a hundred thousand years, how much of our society would be left? Like how much would the earth have not completely eradicated and recycled? For example, buildings, would we, Mm -hmm. would there be any evidence whatsoever of buildings after a hundred thousand years? Would there be any evidence whatsoever of, phone lines or cable lines underground well let's Anything talk about like a that. million years because that's even that's even yeah. still a blink of an eye actually i think you're right i think i've actually heard like a million years for the earliest humans now that you mention it and so yeah like how much of our society a million years from now if we were gone would you be able to tell mm-hmm. i suspect little to none so it's possible i don't think that we i think we're probably the most intelligent life although that is with the understanding that sea mammals like dolphins whales are possibly as intelligent as us but without the benefit of opposable thumbs and the ability to do things like smelt iron and other metals Um, but i think we're probably the only Mm, I guess this will be really arrogant, but human level intelligence <laughs> that showed up on the planet. I think technically it's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think we're probably the smartest by far creatures that were on the planet. I mean, I guess. Well, we definitely took it to another level. So, I mean, right. even if you just talk about the ability to, I mean, even do calculus, we'll say that right. that dolphins can do at the same level that we can. They're, they're not teaching. I mean, sure, they've got schools. Right. <laughs> sorry Boo. that was dumb they're pods <laughs> i know i know i know i'm sorry that was dumb um but yeah so 
I, whether the intelligence is the same, we've definitely taken it to the next level where we're able to actually pass on the intelligence in a more widespread, meaningful way. Right. So this actually is really fascinating because um, this bring this uh, broaches the topic of we have actually over the last 20,000 years, our brains have been shrinking, which is about when we discovered agriculture, according to this lecture that I listened to recently. So we discover agriculture. We start being able to congregate into larger groups. Um, we start being able to create greater and more vast social networks, which means per individual, less intelligence is required to survive, which means the expensive brain that we had is not as necessary. So ever since agriculture, our brains have been shrinking because it's no longer as necessary because we can share the load, as it will, and we are not necessarily individually able to comprehend everything, but you know we specialize. It's like... Um, Certain people are farmers, certain people are hunters, certain people stay home and raise the children, certain people rule the village or whatever. But that idea is kind of paramount when you think about um, evolution. We, we gave up DNA or we gave up evolution on the DNA level to uh, societal evolution instead. Yeah, well, and we, we definitely don't have to go and relearn the things that our ancestors learned. Uh, because they can put it down and and, um, and teach us. So we're not learning right. from scratch. Like right. it's easy to, okay, easy is the wrong word because I couldn't do it. Um, but it's easy to invent, you know, uh, a computer if everybody has already written down how to invent everything before the actual computer. Right. So it's building upon the private the previous generations. And so the idea there is, I think that the, before there was a um, a verbal or what, what's the word? Um, yeah, like a verbal history. Yeah, right, exactly, yeah, exactly. And so one person, or even even a group of people, would still have to remember it right. instead of it just being written, written down. Right, so that was the first step in us starting to need to remember, or to have the larger brains, but we took that a step further with written language, where that was like way, the next level. So really all we needed to pass down is how to understand written language. Right. Yeah, exactly. And our brains, for whatever reason, are extremely well adapted to written language. Like um, Noam Chomsky has his theory of universal grammar. I don't know a ton about it, but I know that he's won Nobel Prizes for this idea. And the, I the idea basically is our brains are actually wired for the certain syntax of language, regardless of which language it is. There's like certain universal traits that are common among all of them. I think I read something about that where the average syllable... Um, con contains the same amount of information regardless of language. And so you have languages like Spanish, which seem a lot quicker and spoken than English or, you know, maybe maybe some others. Uh, but there's not as much, or there's, damn it, I had it in my head. But basically, you're, you're getting the same amount of information in the same amount of time regardless because of... Because the syllables in Spanish are faster or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, some, something like that, where it all averages out, where... Um, where just because you're the each syllable is coming more quickly doesn't mean that you're actually passing more information on faster. It's still uh, the amount uh, this basically the speed of your brain is is going to be just about the same for everybody, right. uh, the average person. So yeah. you can't just um, speak faster and get that information across as well. Right, and I don't I don't know much about it. Like I said, about all I know is the name of the theory. But yeah, that sounds plausible. 
And um, the, the, that thing actually reminds me of um, the idea that our consciousness, which is what we, we view sets us apart from other animals, is the fact that we are aware, we're self-aware, we have conscious thought, we can focus on a specific thing. That is linear, but the majority of our brain is parallel. And when I say parallel, I mean it's multiple calculations happening along all at the same time. Um, but those are the things that we're not aware of. We're not conscious of those. Well, so, go ahead. Oh, yeah. And, well, that goes to where your brain isn't an electrical impulse, just an electrical impulse. It, it's analog and it's digital. Right. You, the analog part is the uh, the h- hormones and, and all the, gosh, what is it, um, going through your synapses, all oh, the chemicals. Yeah. The, um, the neurotransmitters. neurotransmitters. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, neurotransmitters going through your brain. Those are analog. The amount of neurotransmitter... Uh, affects what you feel or think or whatever, how your brain works. Or the specific neurotransmitter. Or, yeah. yeah, both of them. So yeah. so it's analog because you can have, it's not either on or off. It's there, the amount that's there right. changes it. But then that gets converted to a digital uh, synapse where it's an electrical charge that, that transfers, which is not analog, it's digital. Right. And so where we have computers, they're running digitally. Right. And then we have, I don't know, windmills? And they're <laughs> analog? I don't know. I guess. Uh, but um, but you don't have, uh, that's where our brain, I think that's a, where a lot of the calculation of how much how much memory can we store in our brains and all that stuff, it, it's not equatable. Right, yeah. So there's there's debate. We still don't really, as far as I can tell and as far as I've heard from experts, we don't really understand where our memories are actually stored or how they're actually stored. But as far as I can tell, our intelligence comes from basically a social network. And this social network, rather than being between citizens, which is where I talked about earlier, our society evolved using the social networks, our, our brains use the exact same principle, which is kind of a fractal thing, right? Different scales, mm-hmm. the same idea, the same shapes, the same forms. So our brains use a social network just like our societies use a social network same exact concept there's an intelligence in massive amounts of connections between multiple entities in this case the entities are either people or their brain brain cells mm-hmm. so anyway um and so that's kind of one of the ideas of fractals is scale is when you zoom into various scales it's the same patterns mm-hmm. um so anyway our brains the way our brains function and the way our brains are so incredibly complex is we have billions of neurons and they have tens of thousands of connections to other neurons each. So when you think of billions of neurons to the 10,000th power, that's a lot of fucking connections. And that is why we are not even close to understanding how our brains really work. And so, so is that where, um, so thinking about that, when we try and do like a, like an AI, is that where, cause you've, talked about i think being way way further away from ai than than we think we are yes yeah and that's one of the reasons why i'm sorry i totally turned away um yes that's exactly why i think we're way further than a lot of the computer science experts like to think and like to claim for one thing they're trying to like prove that what they're doing is worthwhile and should keep getting funded but for another thing they're not neuroscientists they're not experts in how human intelligence works and to be honest there's really no such thing as an expert in how human intelligence works we really have a very very vague idea we don't really know and so they're i guess 
the word is hyperbole. They they're talking they're talking up what they're doing. They think that they're way closer than they are. And yeah, maybe we actually will accidentally recreate human intelligence. But that for me is the scariest possibility because it means we reverse engineer the human brain without understanding how it works. And the incredible complexity of our brains means that we will probably create something horrific if we reverse engineer without knowing what we're doing. Kind of like reverse engineering how the sun works without really understanding the ramifications of it, which is kind of what we did with thermonuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do we have an equal chance, though, then, without understanding it, of making an intelligence that's better than us? Uh, not not smarter, but but better. What do you mean by better? Where you're saying, well, we'll we may accidentally make a an intelligence that's that's horrific. Do we have an equal chance of making one that's better? Like, as in, I guess, like, well, I guess maybe what morally reading, superior. Yeah, that's kind of what kind I'm reading of. into it. Um, possibly. So there's a lot of different ideas. The one of the interesting ideas I've been hearing about lately is the idea that that intelligence is like inherently moral and the idea of the idea of an intelligence that's not biased by all of our flaws that have to do with wanting to reproduce and wanting to snatch up finite resources before our opponents or before our competitors that that type of intelligence will inherently be superior i don't know about that but i think that I don't know. It's it's really tricky because we don't even fully have we don't even have a human universal human morality and we don't really understand human consciousness. So if we were to create a super intelligent uh, artificial being, like how would we even know what its motivations were? How would we even be able to tell like we don't know what morality really is. We argue about it still. There's not really an answer. So, so how do we know if a super intelligence we created was moral? I think you've kind of answered the question. So um, at least my question, because mine's more of a thought ex- experiment right. more than anything else, is that are we... So I think the answer is what what you said is intelligence is inherently moral. So, But I'm going to go back kind of and ask, are, are humans with our intelligence, are we more moral than average? Than average. Yeah. So, so, so the chance of us creating an AI by accident. Right. So, is it a fifty percent chance that it's better than us? Fifty percent chance that it's worse than us? Or is it a twenty percent chance that it's better? Eighty percent chance that it's worse? Are we higher up on the morality scale, or are we lower down? Are, are the is there more room for improvement, or more room of degradation? That's a tough question because this is something I've been thinking about lately. It comes down to well, think of a dog. A dog is domesticated, right? Well, what happens if this dog who has an owner that feeds him and pays attention to him and is nice to him, what if that owner dies and the dog is left to fend for himself? What happens to the dog? He becomes feral, right? Pretty. Do you agree with that? Um, I have has, to look into it, but yeah, I'll, he, I'm going like with yes has, for this. He yeah. has to find his own food. Uh-huh. He suddenly is no longer taken care of. All of a sudden... He wouldn't have killed that other chihuahua before, <laughs> but now he does. Right, yeah, exactly. Okay. I mean, yeah, exactly. So... The idea there is humans, our society has domesticated us. And you can see evidence of this if you look in developing countries. For example, um, I, I, I'm not exactly sure which countries, but I know 
the Middle East has tribal warfare, just complete war- countries with just endless tribal warfare. There's African countries with endless tribal warfare. These are countries where resources are scarce, similar to a dog who suddenly lost its owner. Um, not saying that African people <laughs> are dogs or Middle Eastern people are dogs, but it's just a general comparison of the situation. So we are domesticated by our society, which because of agriculture has made food abundant. It's no longer a huge concern for us, but say that food all of a sudden becomes a huge concern for us. That's a major resource, food and water. Those are our major resources that are concerns for us. Suddenly all those are not taken care of like they are now. We don't have to think about it. You don't have to think about getting water. You go to your sink, you move up a lever. It takes almost zero energy to do this and you have as much water as you want. Same thing with food. You, you could pretty much walk to the grocery store and get as much food as you wanted. Um, I mean, even if you were starving, there's homeless people that can still get enough food. But all of a sudden, say, our abundance of food and water was gone. We're no longer domesticated. That's my, that's my claim. Okay, so I want to then talk about the opposite end of that. Okay. We have the wealthy elite, something like uh, the top 100 people in the world control 98% of the wealth or something like right, that. Okay. Whatever the statistic is, it's close enough. Right. Uh, yeah. Why are they still controlling all the wealth if they are so abundant? And if if the scarcity is what... Um, I mean, is it still scarce? Even though they control it all, is it still scarce? When you say the wealth, are you talking about money? Or Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's money, it's power, it's whatever they want. Um, so I actually... Um, this is a great opportunity to plug my most recent blog post. It's been a few weeks, but I posted one um, talking about this kind of idea. It's money versus wealth. And... The idea is that society has bought into the fact that money is superior to wealth, and I am arguing that that's not true at all, and it's the opposite. But we have all bought into the idea that money is preferable to wealth. And so all these people are col- all these rich people are collecting wealth, but the poor and the uneducated masses and the financially literate don't see it as collecting wealth. They see it as collecting money, and so they're all trying to get money. And so... My theory there is money is power to people that don't understand the difference between money and wealth. And even to people that do understand the difference, money is still power because most people don't understand the difference. Um, And so they are collecting power. It just happens to be money right now. Once our domesticated society collapses because of things like global warming, because famine makes food no longer widely available, makes water no longer widely available it will no longer be money it will be power it will be food and water whatever the resources that are in demand are currently that's what gives you the power it's the power that the wealthy are hoarding regardless of what it is so what i'm hearing is that is that wealth is what you have and money is what you can have and so when it all collapses what you can have turns into just about zero because you know, right now, sure, you could pay somebody to protect your cornfield, and they would. But as soon as corn is more valuable than your money, now you don't have the you don't have the money. Right. Your I mean, wealth is the cornfield, right. not I mean, the as, money. As soon as this imaginary concept of money that I'm giving you to protect my food mm-hmm. is no longer valuable, and I would rather have food. Yeah, like if I'm supposed to be protecting your corn that I'm starving to, but I'm protecting it for this imaginary concept of something mm-hmm. that doesn't buy me anything because it's no longer worth anything. Right. Yeah. I would rather steal your food than 
take your money. So what I see right now, though, in the society pre-collapse is that the only you have wealth. Right. And, but and the let, only me, way, let me just pause you for a second. My definition in my post, my blog post, is that wealth is anything that maintains or increases its value. Um, and money is just something that measures wealth. So, and then okay. go on. The well, uh, so what I'm, uh, I think my question still stands. Okay. So yep. it, it may, it may not make as much sense. Um, but so you have wealth, but money is the only way to acquire more wealth, even with wealth, because in order, so if you're going to use your wealth to acquire more wealth, you have to sell that wealth or trade that wealth for wealth. Um, and, and the, uh, wealth would only go equal to whatever you're getting. You would have to have some other hmm. monetary system to purchase, to, to acquire more wealth. So whatever you have, if you have wealth but not money, you're stuck with what you have. And that may be power. And, you know, especially like in a post-collapse thing, uh, that would be the power. Right. Um, but in, in, at this point, you would need, you would have your wealth, but the only way to get more wealth is with money. Um, so let me, um, I, I think I see what you're trying to say, and I'm trying to to think that through, but let me uh, respond first by talking about feudal Japan. So in feudal Japan, there were the samurai, which were like the nobility class, and they were paid with rice. So rice was the currency, because when you had rice, you could feed yourself, you could feed your family, and you could feed your army. And so you could argue that rice was a currency, but at the same time, it rather than wealth. right, rather than our currency, which is, I mean, at this point, our currency is what it's like digital numbers. It's ones and zeros, oh, yeah. right, for yeah. the most part. Oh yeah. Um, but in feudal Japan, wealth was rice. Your wealth, your money was rice. You could actually feed your troops with the currency. So I would argue that the currency then was actually wealth. Whereas our currency now is just a social institution that has no intrinsic value. So because you can't feed your army with ones and zeros. So back before America stole everybody's gold and gave them money for it and then eradicated the gold standard. Then, right. And then they made it illegal. Apparently right. made it illegal to own gold. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, even then, gold, like, what is gold good for? It's good for electronic circuitry. At the time, that wasn't a thing. Mm -hmm. So... What's it really good for? I mean, that's kind of the initial steps towards money. Yeah, I, I could see that. It does have an inherent uh, scarcity, though. Right, exactly. And the question is, does scarcity alone make value? And according well, I to guess human history, yes. But well, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm the only me, but I'm worth right. nothing. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if you were, you know, if you were starving on a desert island, would you rather have a suitcase full of gold bullion or a suitcase full of ramen noodles, you know? Sure. Yeah. So, okay. um, so that's, that's kind of the idea behind my blog post, just talking about wealth versus money. I know it's tricky. It's, there's a lot of semantics involved, but the general idea is that I was trying to get to was we are kind of hypnotized by money. Whereas money is really not anything. It's not really worth anything. It's intrinsically worthless. And the people that have wealth, they're not, my, my my closing line is they're not wealthy because they have lots of money. They have lots of money because they're wealthy. And that's a fine distinction, but it's, but it's important. And so what I'm trying to get at here is we are domesticated 
But once our wealth is gone and our wealth being food abundantly and water abundantly and shelter abundantly, once that's gone, we're not going to be the civilized, wonderful creatures that we think we are. And we're going to go right back to being the vicious, you know, winner take all barbaric type of creatures that we look down on in nature. And I, I feel like I'm trying to remember exactly what your original question was, but that's kind of where I was trying to get to. No, no, that makes sense. And so we would have to then, I guess, devolve back into the barbaric nature. And then eventually, if possible, because, I mean, we brought ourselves up once. Or possibly more than once. So there's been yeah. theories that there was a super advanced civilization. I mean, I'm a little skeptical about how super right, advanced right. it We're was. We're not the first. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you're right. You're right. I, I don't know if I how much I believe it, but there is... Um, there is Graham Hancock is the main person I've heard talk about it, that there was a super advanced civilization like 10 to 15,000 years ago. Yeah. Atlantis. They got wiped out by a Tsunami. meteor storm, <laughs> I believe by a meteor, uh, just a huge, mm. I can't remember what it's called. There's a specific name for it, but the, the way that they've talked about how advanced they were, they say, I've heard people say it's like more advanced than us now. I don't know about that, but definitely advanced enough to like build massive stone monuments from with stone from thousands of miles away without real good explanations for it, that kind of thing. I don't know. It sounds a little too much like ancient aliens on the history channel to me, Yeah, but it does seem possible. So here's the biggest problem that I have with, um, and here's why I don't think that there have been, um, other more advanced civilizations before us Okay, is plastic. And right. that's going to be around for how long? We are going to, no matter, man, for the, for the next long, long time, and I wish I had a real number, any alien who visits, even after we wipe ourselves out, is going to be able to know that we are here because of because of plastics. Totally. And so, and, and steel is going to be the same way. Like, you have buried steel, you, you, you're going to find that. You're going to find all this um, stuff for, for tens of thousands of years. Now, even if it's not abundant, it's going to be there, much like the fossil record. Yeah, not everything is a fossil, not everything fossilized, but there was so much life that even even the fraction of a percent that did get fossilized, that we have just a plethora of them. Do you think that we would find it if we didn't know what to look for, just to be devil's advocate here? Like um, steel, for example? Okay, maybe. No. Hmm. I would imagine. Okay. I think you're right because I imagine that with all of our surveying, because we're always looking for new sources of iron and such. Well, and we they'll, would they'll find come across it. Yeah, they'll find the dumbest things that are like, "Well, this is out of the ordinary here," and it turns out that, you know, this continent was actually way down here by the equator four hundred million years ago. Yeah. And so, yeah, I do think we'd find it. I think anything that is sufficient, anything that you could use as an advanced civilization, is going to be sufficiently processed that it would be distinguishable. Right. And, and it goes kind of back to fractals. We would find stuff that, that's not fractal. It, um, he, things uh, that are man-made. Are very much not fractal. Yeah. Right. And thing, very much like right angles and straight lines and not efficient at all. Yeah. It's, it's what we need to fit what we're doing, whereas what nature is, is making is something to, to fit to survival. Basically. Right, because efficiency is all is mm -hmm. key right. when it comes to nature. But so to, another again to play devil's advocate there, we have been on a track that is very unique from nature because of the Judeo-Christian mentality of a monarchical god 
that has given us the planet to use to our discretion, to use up, to exploit. But what if the previous societies did not have this Judeo Christian did not have this Judeo Christian um, mentality of exploitation? And what if they were, as you know, it seems to be in our unconscious that it's ideal to be one with nature to coexist rather than exploit and conquer nature. All right. Like, so this actually touches into something that I kind of wanted to talk about with fractals and sure. with, with the human made things, not being fractal and, and uh, man-made or, and, uh, and more natural things being, being fractal okay. something from nature. And I think that an ancient civilization that would have had the ability to be sentient in, in like a human type capacity would have to look at things the same way that we did. And I think here's why. Okay. The reason that our stuff, whatever we make, I think the reason that it's not fractal, uh, yeah, it's not fractionally dimensional. Okay. Is because we don't see everything, we don't hear everything, we don't experience everything. We see visible light. Right. We see, we hear um, general audible sound, twenty hertz to twenty thousand hertz. Right. Um, anything beyond that, we ignore. So we're not making our houses um, to sparkle in the ultraviolet. And we're not, uh, you know, we're not creating cars that have a, a a gamma ray paint job, for example. Okay. We're stuck in what we can see, and we can only go down so far to what we can see. And and I, and so there's a point where you just don't make something more complex, because, and I I think fractals are more complex than right angles. Right. And, and so you at some point you have to simplify. You have to round it off. Right. And so, and that's what we're doing. We're, we round things off. Whereas nature doesn't have that. The universe doesn't have that same problem. The, the universe is everything. Right. So it doesn't, you know, it goes from Planck length to, to the size of the universe. Right. It doesn't have to mess with, um, well, I can't, I can't bend to this iron bar anymore. It can, it can do whatever you know, I right. mean, it, it just create a different chemical composition for whatever. And I'm not trying to say that the universe is sentient doing. It. I'm just saying that this, these are the things that well, happen. Well, I think what you're getting at is the universe can act one atom at a time and we cannot. Yeah. Well, and, and we have no reason to. And because, I think. Right. Because it's not efficient or even, yeah. even at all possible for us, really. Yeah. And even if we could go one atom at a time, you, you know, we're fucking putting those in right angles. Right. Because, yeah, because we like order, we like pattern, and nature, nature's patterns do not sync well with us for some reason. It's, it's funny because it's, like it's almost like an ownership thing of control because you th um, I just thought, had the thought of the a world's smallest gingerbread house or whatever it was. It was something like a millionth the size of a human hair or a millionth the width of a human hair. And what did they do with those atoms and those molecules? They made a gingerbread house. Why couldn't they have just scattered them? Into, into a random assortment because then they wouldn't be able to say we did that. Right. It would just be a random assortment. Right. And so in order to have any grasp uh, that we have controlled it or created it or anything like that, it has to have some sort of form and it has to have a form that we recognize because right. otherwise it just looks, yeah, oh yeah, sure, you did that. It has to have a form that we assign some type of significance yeah, to. Yeah, like, like a house. Value. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because a gingerbread house is just a symbol of a house, which is something that is extremely important to us. Mm -hmm. yeah. And food. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. That too. And gingerbread people. <laughs> yeah. So 
I kind of forgot what the original point we were getting at was, but uh, what I was, I think what I was saying is that you would have to, you would have to assign a value to something if you were a, a race, a sentient race of human level capacity. So you wouldn't be just making leaves. You would have to arrange those leaves in a way that suited you better, which would, which would have to be against what it had grown. Right. So what you're saying, you're, you were saying that, um, our current view of how to, I guess, civilize the world would also have applied to a previous civilization, even if that civilization went extinct or was basically sent back to the Stone Age. Yeah, I mean, even just look at ants. Like, right. you can tell the ants have created a colony right. because they have created, and even if it may look more natural, like, I guess, I, I really hate I think to organic use, is the word. Organic, yeah, 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 I think so. Yes, thank you. So it may look a little bit more organic than what we've done. It's still not it's still synthetic you know they have actually done it it's not like when you take a bite out of a piece of bread um if before you get braces we'll say you, <laughs> you take a bite out of bread that is a natural an organic shape okay in the bread right but you wouldn't there's you wouldn't package bread that looked like it had a bunch of bites around it not just because it's gross but because that's not the most efficient way to pack bread right and so at some point because if you're just going to be equally as efficient as nature, then you're no more efficient than nature, which sounds like obvious, but you can't do anything more than nature can unless you, unless you change it. So it, it wouldn't be able to be organic and natural. It would have to be changed. Hmm. I would argue that nature is way better at being efficient than we'll ever be because nature is able to basically reuse every single component of every single resource that it utilizes. No, because eventually there's going to be the heat death of the universe. So well, I mean, eventually, still, but in well, the right. interim. Well, right, but every time you every time you change something, every time you create something and then it, it de decomposes and goes back in there, you don't get 100% back. Some of that's lost in thermal energy. That's I mean, true. That's uh, yeah, that's thermodynamics. So like the, it it is losing energy constantly. And yes, I I went to the extreme of heat death, but just to prove the point that okay. it has to continually go that way. So it's true. not reusing it. And I don't think nature is more efficient than we are because what you're talking about is we you have oh, perfect example I think maybe. <laughs> I think okay. it is. Um dogs. Uh-huh. So it took four and a half billion years for nature to create something close to dogs. And it took humans all of 10,000 years to create 100 different varieties of dogs. Okay. And ones that cannot, would never have survived in nature. And right. so we can take... So, but, but is that efficient though? Yes, yes. And here's why. Because we don't have to sit there and evolve one breed of dog for a billion years to create a new dog. We selectively breed them. So okay. it's not natural selection it's human selection. It's artificial selection, yeah. is, I think, is the term. Yeah, sure. Yeah, artificial selection. And so we are selecting these things, and we can take the traits that we want and create what we want. Nature can't do that. There's no end game for nature. True. Um, so it's just throwing shit out there and seeing what sticks. Right. It's the. It's basically the. Not, I don't want to say infinite, but it's incredible numbers of experiments all happening in parallel and all happening over and over and over again and put pitting itself against itself basically yeah and and i don't think that's efficient at all i mean it has a lot more like it, it will definitely i think you're right it it results in incredible efficiency but that act 
in itself is not efficient for sure, but it does result in incredible efficiencies. Well, yeah, because only the from most the engineering the, standpoint. Yeah, the most only the most efficient things will survive. Right, which is why there's such incredible, com- elegant complexity is how I would view, would say it uh, mm-hmm. in nature. Things like the gecko, which its feet go to microscopic size and use the van der Waals force to stick to walls. That's mm-hmm. it's fucking incredible. There's no way humans could do that. Maybe it's not that efficient, but it's super fucking elegant despite mm-hmm. how complex it is. Yeah. Because well, it's using the underlying forces of the universe for a little animal to climb up fucking surfaces and find food. It's like, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. But er- everything in the universe is just following the very fundamental forces of nature, right. uh, of the universe. Right, which are extremely simple rules that are built upon um, in the same patterns to increasing scales to produ- produce incredibly complex results, which is where fractals and chaos theory merge. So one of the thoughts that I had, um, and I think it was the first episode that you had me on, and we had kind of, I backed off from it because it wasn't really a conversation I wanted to, especially with the, the topic that we were in. Right. Where we, we talked were talking about, about AI and sci-fi and stuff, right? Well, and on this one, so, uh, man, maybe it was the second one. I mean, it was all at the same time, but... Right. Um, but where we talked about homosexuality being nature versus nurture. Oh, right. Okay. And, and you had said, and I don't want to, I definitely don't want to step on anybody's toes, especially where I don't really, I can't speak to it um, from a personal level. And I definitely don't want to take away anything from a personal level. Right. But what I was going to talk about um, was chaos theory. Okay. Where it's all nature because everything's nature. We started with True. one, the Big Bang or we, whatever, with one, one part. And I don't want to say one particle, but one, uh, one thing. And it had a set of rules. Okay. And if those rules stayed the same, which it seems to be at least as far back as we can see, all those rules are congruent. Right. It had to happen that way. Everything has to happen the way it does. And so there's, it's not predetermination in the sense that something is guiding you towards it, just in the fact that if you throw a baseball, and we'll ignore all the forces again, if you throw a baseball at something at a certain speed, it will hit it at a certain time. Like You can't change it after it's done. And so once the Big Bang happened, you can't change it anymore. It's following whatever rules are set in motion at that time. Okay. So everything that is going to happen everything that happens was going to happen from the very beginning. And there's no way that you can change that. So you're talking about predetermination. Right. But yeah, but not where something is determining it. Like not where like it's uh, a being is doing it. So this, this sounds to me like um, Sean Carroll talks about this a lot. It's Laplace's demon. The idea is there's this demon. It's a, it's a thought experiment of a demon who can calculate every single particle in the universe mm-hmm. and determine the state it's in and the state it will be in. And this demon can basically c- predict any event because it can see the underlying state of the universe and extrapolate from that right. point. So that's yes. kind of what it sounds like you're talking about. Yes, exactly. So we'll say Laplace's demon or Laplace's demon. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, and so I really think that that if, cause the rules so far are the same. It has to be that way. You can't change the rule. The only way to change that something was going to happen is to change the rule that that governs the interaction. Okay. And since we can't change the rule that governs the interaction, you can't change the interaction. Now, uh, sounds 
is kind of where the AI thing goes, kind of where everything goes. I guess when you start talking about it, is Armageddonish or Armageddon's the wrong word, but just feudalist, I guess, where there's nothing that you can do about it. So uh, why are we even trying? But the thing is, it doesn't matter because you're going to listen to this and you're going to think, oh, he's even if you thought, oh, he's 100% right. Well, that was going to happen anyway. So it doesn't matter. Like, I didn't change anything by telling you this. Right. Yeah. By listening to this, nothing has changed. Okay. So the people who are going to still try are going to still try. People who are going to not try are going to give up. We're going to give up always. I was always going to say this. Whoever listens to it was always going to listen to it. And all the people that are going to write the hate mail were always going to write the hate mail about it. And and if you don't, then then you were always not going to as well. But we don't have enough, uh, as with chaos theory goes, we don't have enough of the initial value to predict what's going to happen. Right. So, Which is the heart of chaos theory. Right. So even if this was all going to happen, you, you there's no way to know what is going to happen. So, Because Laplace's demon, let's face it, fucking ridiculous idea. It's a thought experiment. Yeah. Never going to fucking happen. Well, in order to calculate all of that, you would, you would need something to calculate. So unless you're using... Because, I mean, even quantum computers won't work because because the universe itself is quantum and it can exist in many states. So you would need one bit of information to calculate one bit of information. And because so you would need theoretically, if the whole universe was just um, digital instead of quantum, you would never be able to use a digital computer to calculate a digital universe because you would need just as much information in that computer as there was in the entire universe to calculate it right and so because it's quantum even if we get quantum computing you still don't have enough computing power in a quantum computer to do it right and to let me give you some perspective while you were talking this made me think of um i don't i don't know exactly how much a mole is but let me tell you the scientific notation for a mole and a mole is like a common measurement of gas Mm -hmm. yeah one mole is 6.022 times 10 to the 23rd atoms. And let's see how much the mass of one mole of a substance is equal to that substance's molecular weight. So basically, one it's like one tiny little insignificant bit of of the universe that we can't even comprehend contains 6 times 10 to the 23rd atoms. And Which so imagine own, an infinite space yeah. that has virtual that particles much, right exactly yeah so yeah. just to to kind of get the idea of the ridiculousness of the idea of laplace's demon yeah no yeah and i would n- like I said, there's no computing power right there would be no way to do it right and so it's not quite as futilistic as it may futilistic futile? not futile i think just futile maybe yeah but yeah maybe it's not as futile well no not um all right, so I just uh, real quickly looked up how much a mole takes up in space, and it's apparently 22 liters of volume. But I stand by my point because, you know, how many 22 liters, like how much space in the infinite universe, or how many times, I guess you should say, in the infinite universe can you put 22 liters of hydrogen gas? Exactly. So I stand by my point. <laughs> There's a lot of fucking atoms in the universe. It would take a lot of computational power. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's, we're not a fucking simulation because that's super ridiculous. Anyway. Okay. But then you wouldn't actually have to, uh, simulate all that. Right. We talked about this also where you only simulate what the target or the, the subject is looking at at any one time. Right. Kind of like how video games only, um, only display where you're characters looking yeah, that's and the they don't display rendered. the rest of the world. The only thing that's rendered. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, but the question is, 
when there's six billion or seven billion people looking at things, that's still a lot of processing power. But oh, how naive to think of you that all seven billion are sentient. Oh, right. Okay. So yeah, am I sentient and you're not, or are you sentient and I'm not? Because I fucking feel sentient. But would I say that if I wasn't sentient and you were just to trick you into thinking that I was? I don't know. I don't know. I don't like this. <laughs> what what is senti- like what does sentience even feel like? I assume that I'm sentient because people have told me I am my whole life, but how do I actually know what sentience feels like? <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> so am I the NPC or are you the NPC? Or is everyone else the NPC and we're the only two that are aware? I, I think know. I'm the NPC because I'm so lazy. I would pay anybody to kill those kobolds even though they're level two. Do we know there's actually 7 billion people in the world? How many people have you actually seen? Three or four at least. Right, exactly. So I guess the, I guess my point here is it would probably be way easier to convince me that I was in reality if I was in a simulation than I thought. Mm. So am I the asshole for just assuming that I'm not in a simulation? Maybe the simulation is how long it takes for somebody to actually truly believe that they're in a simulation and you're just about to end it because you're actually going to think that you are. Oh, shit. Wait. It only took 4 point whatever billion years, 4.825. So when you become self-aware that you're in a simulation, it ends? Yes. When you actually know. Not when you think about it. People are, oh, I knew. No, you didn't, obviously, because the simulation's not done. Because you're still here. Yeah, exactly. Oh, shit. No, that's how I'd run it, just to fuck with people. Oh, 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 yes. Thank you. Oh, my God. I almost forgot. I wanted to talk. (laughs) (laughs) I did want to talk about this, uh, where Hinduism. Yes. You were talking about it with Paul about how you're coming back and you're experiencing life because it's basically all of eternity and you need to break that shit up somehow. Right. Okay. Do that for all 7 billion people in the world. Um, Are you familiar with the story of the egg? I think it's what it's called. It's a science fiction story where, uh, I don't know. Okay. Spoiler alert. Does not sound familiar. No. Okay. And I mean, like, it's still going to, now I'm going to spoil it. Okay. So basically what it is, is a guy dies. Turns out he is the only person on earth. He's all, all everybody that have ever lived and ever will live on earth. And earth is a simulation created by his parent, his, who will end up being his parent. He said, oh, so I'm a child. He said, no, you're not even a child yet. Once you go through living as every single person that ever has and ever will live on earth, once you've done every single one of their lives, then you will be born. And so uh, every time somebody is, is rude to you, it's you being rude to yourself. Every time – and it, it, this is a sci-fi story. It's not like a, a philosophy thought. It sounds like Buddhism to me. Um, uh, maybe. And, uh, and so anytime you're rude to somebody, you're rude to yourself. Anytime you're helpful to somebody, you're helpful to yourself. You're o- only doing it to yourself. And that's kind of the idea of the story. But we'll go through with um, – we'll pretend like eternity, like eternal life after you die – um, afterlife is real. Okay. Okay. You go ahead and you do that. You are every single person that ever has, never will live. But now you're done. Well, guess what? You just took up zero percent of eternity. Right. You still have eternity to go. <laughs> no matter how many times you do that, no matter what you do, you always have eternity to go. Right. And then what? You have eternity to go. And then what? You have eternity to go. That's worse than just dying and ceasing to exist. Just over and over. You'd have to do everything. Like and then and then again, you'd have to do everything as many times as you can possibly fathom, and you would still have taken up 0% of your afterlife. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, well, you, you, like the LDS church, they believe that you get your own planet and you're God of your own planet, basically. So you get to play Jesus. Right. Um, 
okay, you done. You did that. And then you did that for the entire length of the universe, you know, hundred well, trillion years till the till the last black hole evaporates. Right. Okay. Well, zero percent of time has has passed. You've passed no time. Right. So yeah. Except I, and all of human history supposedly occurred in five thousand years, which makes it way worse. <laughs> yeah. Or does it? I don't know. I, I, it doesn't. No, it doesn't make it any better or worse. It doesn't matter. <laughs> right. It just doesn't matter. Because five thousand over infinity is the same as a billion over infinity. Right. So, you know, you theists, good luck. Yeah, right. Like, have, have fun with that. Yeah. So, uh, all right. That's a, an excellent way to put that shit in perspective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You guys let me know when you're done with that. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I mean, I don't necessarily buy into the whole Hinduism cosmology, but I think it was fucking awesome. It was fascinating to me that Paul came up with that on his own. And that was actually the Hinduism cosmology, which also seems to me, I don't know. It kind of like lends some credence to both of their viewpoints just because too, five, too five to 10,000 years independently came up with this idea. Or, although maybe he heard something randomly. I don't know. But I don't know because the idea of infinity is so far beyond my capability to comprehend that even with the example you just gave, like it's still completely meaningless to me. And I don't know. I mean, the, the I've heard lots of ideas one of them being that the universe is just a huge um the the universe is nothing but a field of consciousness and that's all it is and it is growing towards some type of it's growing towards excess or towards more complexity i guess and more self-awareness and more being able to look at itself and i don't know i have no idea but it's a it's a romantic idea it's a cool idea i don't really know if it's all just random and it all just happened and we all are just here because simple rules spiraled and in the chaos theory vein became more and more and more complex. But there's also, like I said, there's patterns and then complexity and then more patterns and then more complexity and so on and up the chain until you have humans who are self-aware, humans who can think about their own existence. I mean, are we, we think that we're the be all and end all. We think that we're the the ultimate yeah, end we of think we, evolution. We think we're going to keep going. People talk about, oh, 10,000 years in the future. We're going to be unrecognizable as humans in 10,000 years right. unless we find some way of of extending a single person's lifespan. Right. So, Or or I guess genetic engineering is another way that we could really stop the way that we, we right. change. But I think technology, like um, silicon, is really where it's going to happen. We're going to become... Like you've read um, the the Star Carrier series, the mm -hmm. part of the idea behind that whole world is this incredibly advanced civilization, basically programmed or built a computer into an entire planet that was so vast that they could live for a millennia in a second. Like their their whole world view, their whole world could move so slowly. They it took them like 10,000 years for a single process. Yeah. But, but in the idea of 100 trillion years right. in the universe, that was still uh, immortality, basically. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's such a slow, unnoticeable process that they're basically invulnerable. But and, and I want to go to kind of I don't want to talk too much about the single series, but it's not I, I find it so short sighted. If you're so advanced that you can say, look, we can make this last for 10,000 years, you're still orbiting a star. Right. A star's still going to go at some point. 
and maybe even if it is 10 billion years from now or perception yeah well and and perhaps maybe they calculated it all out so they know that it's 10 billion years and so it's worth it for them okay so we'll we'll scrap the that idea we'll scrap the natural causes idea you are not the only players like you have to know that somebody's going to find your planet at some point and and maybe the chances are way lower than in the next 10 billion years so you know technically the star is going to destroy you before that happens anyway but there's never well there shouldn't i don't think ever be a zero percent chance that they're going to find you after the fact and not before right so you're really putting yourself out there to slow your cognition so much that you can't react when someone does come across exactly true but the question is at that point are you so self-aware that you've become cognizant that your survival really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things well then why are you trying to survive for so long i don't know just to make your experience as rich as possible but you really are because i mean um so all i can really go to at this point is my limited knowledge of buddhism which is all about attachment and the idea being that you should avoid attachment and just accept what's happening now not try to be attached to it not try to hold on to anything because life and the universe is change and when you try to hold on to something that's when you fail to hold on to it so maybe they're just trying to expand the current moment that they're experiencing to be as long as possible while still not being attached to it i guess that's kind of hypocritical or that's kind of i guess it doesn't maybe that doesn't make sense because why would they be expanding it to be as long as possible if they were not attached to it right they're just gonna die but, anyway. yeah but i don't know that I, I i don't really know it's such a I guess the idea there is that it's an alien intelligence. Why would they want to do that? I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah, I guess that's why. Would whenever you, you say it's an alien human, intelligence, how yeah. would you know? But like, why would a human want immortality? Because any human who actually thought about it for any length of time would realize how undesirable immortality actually would be. But that's what, that's what so many billion people in the world are striving for. Are they though? Yes. That's what religion is. True. But do you think they've actually sat down and thought about it for any length of time? No, no. That's why exactly. I brought up my point about. So you think that they was something that they would, if if people were offered immortality, that they would just no questions asked, go for it without thinking about it at all? Well, no. Yeah, I just answered well, the question. They totally would. <laughs> well, they pay ten percent of their of their income to have more t- immortality. Yeah, but I'm talking about if it was legit immortality le- was legitimately oh, offered. So you're saying people. Jesus isn't legitimately offering immortality? <laughs> No, because <laughs> well, right, but they think. Sorry, he is. listeners, to disappoint. But they think he is. That's that's the problem. Is whether it's legitimate or not, they think it is, hmm, and true. and they believe it is, and so. And they're going after you know, it wholeheartedly. Yeah, and so, well, but they're not, and that's the funny thing. They're not right because how many of them sin? So that's what I'm. Every single at. one of them. If you actually believed that, and and the people that, and I'm gonna pick on Christianity because that's where what I grew up on. But don't take it just to your heart. Christians. It applies to all religions equally. Why are you crying at funerals? You're going to fucking see them again. And mm-hmm. in like no time at all, you're right. going to see them for eternity. Right. So why are you crying? And that's, that's, and just the blatant disregard of the rules of your own fucking religion. Right. It, you don't believe it. Right. You don't. It, you would, you wouldn't, you wouldn't. Take the Lord's name in vain. You wouldn't covet your neighbor's wife. You wouldn't do any of these things if you actually, actually believed that you were going to burn in hell for all eternity. Right. Well, Alan Watts says it the best. He says, why would people who believe in a monarchical universe, i.e. God is a monarch, 
believe that the best form of government is a democracy. Yeah. So, I mean, that's whenever I hear him say that, I'm just like, oh, fuck yeah, right? And the I to go back to what you what you said, um they believe wholeheartedly that they will be living forever except they don't, but they tell themselves that they believe it wholeheartedly. So the question is, if you actually were to walk up to someone and say, I will allow you to live forever, do you think that everyone on the planet would say yes, or do you think there's people who would be wise enough to say no? Well, you have to tell them a story first. But, I mean, it's like we talked about, every, people are saying yes. They're already saying yes. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah, that it's but not, it's easy to say yes in the distant future. Just like... So what are you saying? I will kill you right now and you will be... You will live forever. I will snap or? my fingers right now, and you will live forever uh-huh. without having to experience death. Okay, <laughs> and, I, you I, I know, and like you will know it a hundred. You will know for sure that's exactly what just happened. Like for example, say someone figured out the elixir of immortality, that kind of thing. Okay, like would you if someone invented the elixir of immortality? Do you think they would actually drink it, or do you think that they would take a moment and think it through, and then decide not to drink it, or do you think that they would then drink it anyway, or do you think? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I I know what you're saying, or I think I get what you're saying. Obviously, and it it's depends a very on hard the person to answer. But just say in general, if every human on the planet was offered this elixir of immortality, and they knew 100 percent that it would make them live forever, so I would not do it. And here's why: eventually, I'm gonna be in an airplane over the Pacific Ocean, and it's gonna get blown out of the sky, and I'm gonna fall to the ocean. And then I'm never like I am going to be what alive You'll eternally be stuck at the bottom of the ocean yeah. forever or or yeah under crushing depth that yeah. my bo- I can't lift my arms I can't do anything I'm just there forever or uh, an asteroid hits the earth and I'm ejected off the rock and now I'm flo- flowing through the emptiness of space or you know somehow it imparts enough energy on me that I fall into the sun forever hmm. so there's no way I would do it. That's interesting because I read a book once. I don't remember if it was a book or a TV show, but the idea was this person wished for immortality, but they didn't wish for eternal youth. And so they they were alive forever, but their body aged and rotted and Mm -hmm. deteriorated. And so they were alive forever in a worsening worsening body. And so that's totally what that reminds me of. Yeah. Hmm. That's the whole whole archetype of the genie, you know, be careful what you wish for, that whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that, that but nobody thinks ancient, about that when they pray. Well, yeah, I feel like that's ancient wisdom that people don't really think about anymore that should that they should think about that. And that's totally applies to the idea of immortality. And well, and here's to me why I mean hell wasn't even mentioned in the Bible until 425 AD where it was added in is that you had to give a bad. It has to be a good or a bad. Because if it's if you're offering okay immortality, would you take it? Oh, I don't know. I don't want to be stuck at the bottom of the ocean forever. Okay, I will either give you more immortality, or you will burn forever. Now you choose immortality. Right. So you have to you have to make that second choice. And then the other so trick, it's the lesser of two evils. Right. Exactly. And who knew and of that course eternal, you're going to do it? Who knew eternal bliss was the lesser of two evils? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, remember that, people. I don't know if you say eternal bliss. I gosh. <laughs> That's different, I guess. No, but um, well, you know, have you heard about the lady who just constantly has orgasms, never God, ending? Would, yes, and, and how she's terrible like it is. in a nightmare of, I don't, I haven't really listened to the interview. But apparently, she's in just a horrific nightmare that never ends, and she wants to die. I mean, okay, there you go. There's your bliss, so eternity, eternally. Here's, here's the thing to me. Okay, this is. I know this would totally ruin her life and all that stuff, and I, whatever. Um, don't they have like epidurals that that numb everything from the spine down? 
That's a good point. I don't know. I wouldn't. She. I mean, like, obviously, you wouldn't want to because continually be well, in that. But there are things I feel like you can do about that. Stephen Hawking was paralyzed from the neck down, and he could still fuck his wife. I think that. I think that was the nurse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but he also could. He said. He said in the movie it was automatic. I don't oh, know if it actually felt yeah. good. I don't know if it actually felt good, but the movie. Yeah, right. We all <laughs> okay. know that they tell the truth. Yeah. Well. I don't know. All I know is that his second wife got a really good helping of vegetables. <laughs> but then you also have to add in religion a system where you get pardoned, a repent system. Right. Because otherwise, once you've sinned, and that's why people are willing to sin, even if they pretend like they believe, is because they think that they are righteous enough to get out of it. Right. They, they, they're tricking God. Basically, they are smarter than their God, which why would you want to worship somebody you're smarter than? <laughs> that seems stupid in its own right. The whole thing is stupid. But you have to have that. Otherwise, once you have committed the sin, maybe out of an act of anger or lust, you know, you, you sleep with your neighbor's wife, for example, and you covet her, then you're done. Guess what? Now it doesn't matter what the fuck I do. I'm done forever, so I might as well go murdering people. Right. And obviously, and people don't do that. Like, even people who legitimately believe they're going to hell don't go out and just start murdering people. Not all of them, anyway. I'm sure there's probably some... But and that's one of my arguments of why religion doesn't actually make people good people, because people even like atheists aren't the ones running into schools blowing people up. So, but you have to have that repentance part because once you break the rule, you have to be able to go back on it, because uh, otherwise you would stop paying your tithing, which is what they want. Most of they want your servitude and your money. Yeah, they want your wealth and they want your currency. Uh So, and the only way to get that is for you to actually still believe that there's something waiting for you. Yeah. With them. That they're going to offer you something that you can't get yourself, and that's the absolution. Yeah. Oh, shit. That makes me think of something I was just listening to. Uh, what was it? Even, um, oh, damn. I can't remember what it was. Ah, damn. It was so good. Oh, well. You'll, you'll have to try to listen to the next episode, and maybe I'll bring it up then. But I felt it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jesus. Yeah. I guess I'll stick with you. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, fuck. Oh, man. Okay, so did we answer the question of what was the original, original question? How does chaos theory and fractals? <laughs> Are there other, other, were there other intelligent creatures, like our human level of intelligence yeah. before humans? I'm going to say no. I, and and, and uh, let's talk about On intelligence. On the planet, no. I think possibly in the universe. I, I think in the universe, absolutely, yes. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, and I don't, yeah, I would believe in the universe, absolutely, for sure. I mean, when you... Th- when you think about, we've only been here for 4.8 billion years, 4.825, 4.25, whatever the fuck it is, 4 point something billion years old, um, and the universe is like 13. Point, is it 13? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's. A, hey Google, how old is the universe? She's got all the answers. It'll be fine. 13.772 billion years. 13.772 billion years. Okay Google, stop. Oh God, she's such a know-it-all. Listen to her going on and on like people want to listen. Oh, sorry. That's me. So 13.8 billion years. Yeah. and So we're one here. third of the universe's age. Yeah. And if if we did it in and in even less time than that, I mean, you I guess you do have to count the uh, the formation of the planet itself. But if we did in that much time, you know, there are three other generations of planets that could have done it. Although some of the heavier metals obviously wouldn't have been around because those are caused by neutron stars running into each other and all that shiz. Right. But I, I don't know for sure, but I believe that the initial supernovas would have produced carbon. I don't know for sure though. Um, I know I thought my understanding of it, although I'm not definitely not an astronomer or a cosmologist was that the supernovas spit out all of the heavier elements and the first wave in 
definitely included carbon, which uh, is the, so supernovas don't do all of the heavy elements, but they do they do carbon. Yeah, they do a lot of them. It's uh, it's when. What does the other? What does the heavier element, elements? Um, oh gosh, I just fucking read this. I think it's two neutron stars uh, oh, coming like together, colliding. Yeah. Oh shit. And so, so you have the neutronium hitting on itself, and, and that creates those heavier elements. Man, I really should look into that more before I talk about it because yeah. I just read it, but, but I, I can't remember exactly what it, it was. Kind of a new thing. Well, if it makes you feel better, I believe you wholeheartedly. <laughs> All right. So we've basically solved the mysteries of the universe. I think that. Everyone is the, the richer for having listened to us talk about this. And I appreciate your input. I, uh, I appreciate my input. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap this up? I'm just part of your simulation. So you, you right. let me know. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this artificial entity that claims to be sentient that's sitting in front of me named Tyler um, did a very excellent job co-hosting this podcast with me. So I'd like to, uh, I'd like to offer my thanks to him. Oh, thank you. And uh, if anyone disagrees, well, guess what? It's, not my fault. It's the fucking shitty simulation that I'm stuck in. So <laughs> all y'all can go fuck yourselves. Well, thanks for letting me join you. And I'm sorry that Brendan couldn't join us today. That yeah. would have been a really good time. But I hope he's having a, a lot of fun. Yeah, me too. And uh, we'll definitely be back on our regular schedule. So apologies for missing a week. I'm going to try and get this uploaded this week. And I think I'm only a week behind. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, this has been All Opinions No Facts. Peace out. <laughs>